He is risen. Today is a good day of celebration for what uh, God has done. It's a really good day. I'm going to read you a story out of the Old Testament, one that is uh, quite controversial, and you're immediately going to say, what's this got to do with Easter? It actually has everything to do with Easter. But first, I want to help you understand, set the stage a little bit. Okay, so Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, God said, go, go to the land I'm going to show you. So he got up and went. We have no um, evidence that as yet he was a follower of the Lord. Nothing had been said about his faithfulness or his belief or anything. God just said, go. And he went and he said, I'm going to bless all the world through you. Then in Genesis 15, he uh, made a promise because he said, how do I know this is true, that you're going to bless everything? So now he's a little bit further down into the land. And that's where God cuts the covenant with him, makes the covenant. And he said, your son is going to be the heir. And he said, well, I don't, he's getting older now. I don't have any sons. So you can use Eliezer, my priest. See, uh, one of the things we learned through the series on covenant over the last several weeks is that you cannot negotiate with God. God is the one that always makes the covenant. And it's always called, he always says, it's my covenant, not yours. Your only choice is to obey or disobey. So Abraham decides to negotiate. Use Eliezer. God said, no, no, it's going to be from your own flesh and blood. So a few years go by. And then uh, he says, um, well, I have Ishmael because he had, he had kind of married his uh, servant. And, uh, and so God says, no, no, not through Ishmael. It's through Sarah. And so he's 99 years old when he's told, no, no it's going to be through Sarah. And he laughs. He falls down on his face and he laughs. And he's, <laughs> he thinks to himself, it's interesting that this is recording, recorded in scripture that reminds us that God knows what you're thinking. <laughs> so he, he's laying on the ground. He thinks to himself, can a man who's 99 give birth to a son? I don't think so. We're past that point in life. At least we want to be. <laughs> For those of you that are older with grandchilds, you know what I'm talking about. I don't ever want to go back to those years of raising the kids. I'm really happy where I am. So he's laughing to himself, says, no chance. And so um, a little bit later, three of them appear, three men. I believe one of them is the incarnate Jesus. They appear to him. And uh, um, Sarah is behind the tent flap. So they said, this time next year, now she's 10 years younger. So he's 89. She's 89. He's 99. So, 10, uh, so they show up and they said, uh, this time next year, we're coming back and you're going to have a son. Now she's behind the tent flap laughing. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Can a woman past childbearing have a son? And so sure enough, she has a son called Isaac. And so um, you know what they name him? Isaac. They're both laughing, and then all of her friends are gathered with her to celebrate the birth of this son. God has restored her honor, so they name him Isaac, which means he laughs. He gets the last laugh, okay? So they're all laughing at the impossibility of it, and he laughs at the reality of it. So now he has one son, okay? One, the son of the promise. Isaac is the one who God said, no, not Eliezer, no, not Ishmael. It's going to be through this one, Isaac, that we're going to bless the world. Now listen to this story out of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, take your son he had many sons. 
your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and kill him. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. There's a clue. We're going to see how that plays out in just a minute. I believe this story is the backbone to Easter. You're probably going, huh? We'll get there. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So going to the region of Moriah, we immediately have a theological conundrum. Why would God say, kill your son? Does this represent the redemptive God that we all know? If it does, why don't we obey this today? If it's not, what's it doing as a command in the law, in the Bible? Why did God command him this? And why is this a test? Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up uh, and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Now here's the second clue, another clue. And we will come back to you. He's the only one that knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to kill his son. He does believe that. We will come back to you. There's a clue. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. Now remember, he's 100 years old when his son is born. For his son to climb the mountain with the wood on his back, he's probably a teenager or a young male by now. Okay? So we're talking, what, 115, 118, somewhere in there? And he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Okay, that's another little clue. Okay, we're going to see resolved in the Easter story. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? God answered, uh, God himself, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay, pause. Here's another little clue. Because we know Isaac by this time is at least a teenager, if not a young man. I have a feeling he could probably overpower uh, a man 100 years older than him. So he voluntarily trusts his father without knowing what's going to happen. <clears throat> then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham said. He do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, i.e. the son of the promise. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. To this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, says Yahweh. So this is God speaking. I swear by myself that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Okay, pause. When you walked in, how many of you saw the flags hanging? How many of you noticed that? Most of you? The flags that are all hanging out in the narthex are all the the, uh, nations that we reach out to in some form. We support them through missionaries. We, we, uh, we, some of us go. We've gone to Haiti. I go to Nepal, Mozambique, as you know, uh, Cambodia, and teach. And so those represent all the nations that our church reaches out. Now listen to the last part of this promise. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. That's the very promise that he started out with in Genesis 12. Through you, and now your son, Isaac, I will bless all the nations. So then the question arises, what was the actual test? Why would God ask him to kill his son? I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no scenario. There's no sense of ethics in our culture where that would be acceptable in any shape at all whatsoever. So some of you know, you've heard me long enough to know how I think about the Bible. If you put the Bible in the order that it's written, here's what you see. You see this really wonderful um, um, story of God stepping into culture one step at a time and fixing problems, redeeming broken values and culture. Okay? Every time he steps into our world, he does three things. He begins to mitigate evil practices, number one. Number two is that he introduces human dignity because the world can never figure that one out ever. And number three is that he points the way to where righteousness is. He points that way to true north. So when you put the Bible in the order that's written, you see him fixing one cultural value at a time. At this time in world history, 2000, roughly 2100 BC, uh, it was common practice to sacrifice children, sacrifice animals. Why not children? Okay, they hadn't been learned about dignity and all that yet. And so that's not a surprise. So that actually wasn't the test. Until later on, when God gives the law, he says, don't ever sacrifice your kids. That's when it becomes a law. But back here, it's not yet there. They didn't know that. So I don't know this is true. So I like to dramatize scripture from time to time. Here's how I envision it happening. Abraham saying to his neighbors, you guys sacrifice your kids. They didn't come back to life. Watch what happens when I kill my son. What's his only other option? Resurrection. I believe this is the first clear example of faith in the resurrection. I'll do what God says, and he's going to have to bring it back to life. Why? Because in Genesis 15, remember, he took the animals and cut them in half, and God walked down them. That's how you made a covenant in the ancient world. And then he got done and he said, see these animals? That's what's going to happen to me if I don't keep my covenant. That's how they kept the covenant. So Abraham is saying, I'll kill my son because God has no choice but to bring him back. That's resurrection. All right? So sure enough, when you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, chapter of faith, look what it says about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, this son, that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. He believed that God 
could even raise the dead. That's resurrection. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, the real test for Abraham is that could God bring his son back to life? That was the real test. Now God stopped him before he killed his son because he doesn't really want us to kill our children. Sometimes we want to. Well, that's not really what he wants. The real test, did Abraham, did he actually truly believe that God would raise him from the dead? The first clear picture of resurrection. Okay, now, back to the story. In Genesis, he went to the region of Moriah. We now know the region of Moriah. That region is a group of uh, hills and mountains that make up the Jerusalem uh, environs. Okay? That's where Jerusalem was located. At this time, it wasn't there. But 2,000 years later, John the Baptist is in the region of Moriah. I would like to think, although I can't prove it, I would like to think he was on the very mountain where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. What did Isaac ask? Where's the lamb? And God provided a ram. 2,000 years later, John the Baptist sees Jesus in the same spot and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There's the answer to the question from 2,000 years, years earlier. Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's John chapter 1. And so Easter was already prefigured. It was already envisioned. You could already see it coming from this incredible story of Isaac and Abraham. And so he believed God could raise his son because he had made a promise. And he doesn't know it yet, but he's standing in the very place, the very mountain area where Jesus is going to come. And John the Baptist is going to say, behold, the Lamb of God. And then a few years later, he's going to become the Passover lamb on the cross at the same time that the priests are in the temple sacrificing the lambs. He's out on Golgotha, becoming our Passover lamb. So now I'm going to read the story out of Luke. You heard part of it read already. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. Have you ever looked at lightning right from the flashes? It's very, it's very blinding. I can only imagine what this looked like. And so they're standing there beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking here? See, Jesus was alive. Remember how he told... No, no, no. Forgot it. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So that's where it comes from. He has risen. He has risen. He has risen. There's no greater news in all the history of the world... Remember how he told you while he's still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over, the hands of, uh, over to the hands of sinners, 
be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us your son. I can't imagine beyond what little bit of information you give us in the scriptures, what the conversation looked like, and what it was really like for Jesus. But we are all here, and we are grateful. We stand redeemed, and we stand free because of your sacrifice. Something that uh, Abraham believed in his heart that you would raise his son from the dead has now happened. And the lamb who takes away the sin of the world has come for us, and we are grateful. In your name we pray, amen.